learning to lean. This has been a pursuit that this is our 12th week of pursuing. And last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 1. And um, the name of our lesson was Receiving God's Riches. And we didn't really get very far with that. I just felt like I couldn't get to everything. And today was a really huge challenge to try to take that whole, the rest of that passage and to put it in one lesson. I'm, I'm very aware, just so you know, that this is what I'm going to say today is incomplete. <laughs> that the blessings and the riches and the treasures that are ours um, in Christ are so vast so limitless, so immeasurable, so massive that it's, it's just, it's, it is a challenge to take it all in. But that is our challenge as we learn to lean, is that we would get a glimpse of it and we would think, wow, I want some of that. And then we would allow what we said, I guess it was two weeks ago, that as God is doing his work in us, as we walk through this world and as the pressures of tribulation, remember that word means pressure, so as our circumstances start to squeeze us and what's in us starts rising to the surface, that we would be open and willing and available to let the Lord take that part that's not biblical truth, to take that part that's not spirit-filled, to take that part whose needs have gone unmet, to take that part who may be disappointed or discontent or fill in the blank with what you're feeling or thinking, and to take that part and that we would honestly deal with the reality of where we are. No shame in that. It's just what is necessary for us to do in order to make room for these incredible blessings that Paul has just spread this lavish feast in front of us. And so as we do that, what also is going to happen by those pressures of our circumstances is God's going to use those to produce in us greater joy, greater peace, greater connection with the Lord, greater sense of he is, I am his, and he is mine. I belong to him, and he belongs to me, and I really trust him, and I can lean on him. That is kind of the message, and I pretty much say it every week, and we're going to take a new angle on it today, and hopefully what happens as we just go back over and over and over the truth of who God is, um, that, that, that we're going to feel safer and safer to just do some of that delving and, um, and to, to make more and more room for that receiving. So let's take another stab at it today, and <clears throat> we're going to use that same text from last week. It's Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Last week we looked at it in the New Living. This week I've chosen just let's listen to it from a different place. New American Standard's kind of been my, cut my teeth on Bible for most of my life. It's the one that um, I've learned most of my scriptures from. And I like the way it said a lot of the phrases here. So let's, let's just start there and read that scripture once again from the New American Standard. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoptions as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace which 
with which he favored us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he set forth in him, regarding his plan of the fullness of times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in the Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So, one sentence in the Greek I said last week, which is just like, who does that? Well, God does it as he writes through Paul from a Roman prison. We said he was in prison And I believe that the pressure of that place, the not being seen, not being known or understood, not having anybody he really belonged to, although they do think he did get a few visitors, um, that as the pressure of that squeezed him, this is the thing he went to. These truths that you can see that he was drawn from the Old Testament. You can see that he was connecting with the Lord and asking the Lord to show me, Lord, show me what is the reality, the greater reality than my earthly circumstances. What's true about me and what's true about the one person that I can hope in and count on in these circumstances, and that's you, Lord. And so we spent last week looking at the Father blessings, the first uh, three verses, uh, four verses, I guess, uh, verses three through six. And we talked about it was God's loving kindness. And we uh, talked about how um, we can all have intellectual assent to the fact that God loves us and that he's had mercy on us. Um, Where it really starts making a difference in the way we think and feel and act and start having some transformation is when we take the truth of his loving kindness to a place that needs it most. So we've been talking about those core needs that every human being has. And um, I'm sorry I waited till after we turned the mic off to open the floor for questions because we had a great question from the floor and I wanted to restate what the question was and to re-say what the answer is. And so someone asked, those core needs, they are to be seen, to be known or understood, and to belong. And then I've got here on the page, there's another, you know, to use other language, to be loved, secure, and to enjoy connection. You know, those are just another way of stating those core needs. All human beings were born with that need. We see them fully expressed in the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. And then the question was, well, wait a minute, these core needs, does that just apply to our relationship with God or does it apply to our relationship with with people too? And the answer is both, it's both. And here's the truth, is that 
the in, your inner circle of people trusted and some some of these relationships are reciprocal and then if you think about a parent child relationship you're as a parent doing most of the giving right so but um let's let's take an infant for example and think about that child comes here without any kind of grit about who god is but they what they know is i'm hungry i'm wet and i want somebody to come and hold me that, that's what they know, and that's their little instinctual self is going to cry out to ask for that. And if, for some reason, as a young child, infancy through probably, you know, age six is real critical, and up to age twelve, we're still forming our cognitive ability to think and understand. And so we talked about the amygdala and how children, especially little bitty children, they're just functioning out of that very primitive part of their brain called the amygdala. And if we, for some reason, experience neglect or, I mean, like a significant amount of neglect would be a trauma. A small amount of neglect would leave us with messages and lies and feelings that I didn't get my needs fully met. And so those are needs that parents were designed to give young children. And as we grow up, our teachers, our pastors, people of authority in our lives, and then more and more as we get older and have the capability to relate on a vertical level to the degree of intimacy that there is in a relationship, there is some expectation that people will meet you there and come alongside you and see you and know you and connect with you. And there's a belongingness. But obviously, the only one who can do that perfectly is God. And if we think an individual person, no matter how close they are and no matter how committed they are to us, is going to be able to do that all the time perfectly, we are setting ourselves up, and we are setting that relationship up. And I've got a testimony about it after teaching about it last week. I did it wrong this week. So um, anyway, I'll tell you how that went. But um, So what we want to do then is we want to take um, what God has poured out and spread out for us and realize, oh, my goodness, I have every spiritual blessing, and those are our um, inheritance, and those are things that we can draw on now. Our inheritance is not when we die, although we have a fantastic inheritance awaiting us in heaven, but these things are for us to enjoy now. And so that can meet us and be available to us when we have um, those needs come to the surface. So... um, we talked about how the Father's love is the one. He planned it. He planned it in love. He planned it with intention. He planned it before the beginning of time, before he even made the world. And the kind of love he has is agape love. You've probably heard that word before. There's several words in the um, New Testament Greek that are used for love, but agape love describes this kind of love. It's love that's focused on benefiting the person that's the object of the love. And it is uh, really not so much concerned with its own needs, but with benefiting the other person. 
And I loved this when I looked at it in Strong's. It says, agape means a love feast. And that's kind of what we said last week, that Paul was spreading out this big feast or this big banquet that talks about all the different ways that God loves us and blesses us. And uh, it's based on commitment, sacrifice, and faithfulness. And it doesn't expect anything in return. So that's what we want to do. We want to receive that kind of love. And guys, don't you know that what you haven't received, you can't give away? Do you want to love like that? I do. You can't love like that if you haven't been loved like that. And so all the more reason. That's not the primary reason to do it. The primary reason to do it is to know God and to have fullness in our own lives. And then out of that fullness and out of the overflow of that, it'll splash out on the people around us. And and what does that do for us when we do take that in? It It is uh, the remedy for distrust, doubt, discontent disappointment, all those things that we've said are obstacles to leaning on God and trusting him. So that's kind of a big picture review of what our, our, um, our um, passage is saying and kind of what the father's role is and how, let me just point out, I'm sure you've picked it up by now, that Paul loves the phrase in him or in Christ or in the beloved he says in the NAS I love in the beloved that I think that's so sweet and so today we're going to talk in a very very short way compared to um, what Jesus has done for us we're going to talk about what the Jesus part is so we talked about the father we're going to talk today about the son and the Holy Spirit in brief so um, so we were redeemed by Jesus that's what it says in this passage and um that is the big overarching word for Jesus. He's our redeemer. God planned for that. The son accomplished that. And what it means, the word, if you look at Strong's, means to loosen what is bound, the payment of a price to ransom someone from the power of someone else, to deliver someone who is powerless, to liberate them themselves. So that's what Jesus did. He came to set us free or liberate us in a word or in a phrase. And so um, you see this in the Bible all throughout Scripture. You see the people of God being taken into captivity, in bondage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And those are types or pictures of the gospel, that God is painting that picture over and over and again in the um, Old Testament. And then now we get to apply it spiritually in the New Testament. And that's what Paul is writing here. And so let's go back just to probably the very most graphic example is in um, when the children of Israel were in slavery for 400 years in Egypt and God liberated them. Uh, it says in Exodus 6, 5 through 7, listen to the heart of God here. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians. And I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. Well, we can just take 
Egypt as the enemy and put the name of our enemy, Satan, and our enemy, the flesh, and put it in that passage and just say, that's God's heart for us. He wants to, he hears us. He sees the oppression that we're feeling. And he's wanting to respond with his liberating power. And that's what Jesus did. And he, um, he did it at great price to himself. Um, you know, you think about someone who's standing on the auction block as a slave. And you think they're not very useful to anybody. They don't have a lot of worth apart from somebody being willing to pay the price for them to come and make themselves useful in a household or in a, you know, a business or whatever. And so what Jesus did is to um, liberate us from slavery to sin um, and its penalty, which is death. And he did that with the price of the ransom. And so Paul, very, even though this is such a long sentence, I think he's very able to succinctly summarize the work of the person of the second uh, person of the Trinity, Jesus. So if you look there at those little... Uh, white circles. Um, let's look at how this truth about Jesus liberating us can free us from a slavery mindset. Because what we saw after the people were set free is that they were, in truth and in essence, they were free. But they really kind of didn't live like they were free. They didn't think like they were free. They didn't particularly feel like they were free. And so what that tells us is their thinking had not caught up with the, with the reality of what God had done for them. And the same is true for many Christians today. So let's look at this list of what a slave mentality might include on this side, uh, which is the New Testament. And it probably looked the same way back then, just a little bit different because they were in a different situation. But... But if you have not fully bought into your freedom and or have some slave-like thinking, you might think, well, my life doesn't matter or it doesn't matter a whole lot. You might think, nobody really cares for me or loves me completely, just as I am. That you, Your ideas and your beliefs about your worth are that I'm only as good as my works, is what I can bring to the table, that's as good as I am. And that I've never been first choice and I never will be. Uh, kind of a less than mentality. And again, I must work hard to make up for any shortcomings, mistakes, or weaknesses that I have. So um, how do we experience freedom? Well, I think number one on the list is to recognize where we're not believing that we're free by maybe some of these erroneous mindsets and then replacing those with the truth of what Jesus has done for us. So let's do a quick listening exercise. Um, so we're just going to um, do it by way of prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts and to search our hearts. Uh, Lord, we come to you now for a brief uh, moment of self-examination and ask you, Lord, to show us how deeply we've grasped hold of the freedom that Jesus died to give us. And Lord, would you just please show us places in our life where specifically do we feel trapped, stuck, or bound?
my pen was kind of flowing on that one. Thank you, Lord, for showing us what you've shown us. And, and Lord, we just want to ask the question and search our hearts and show us, Lord, are we willing to let go of these lies that we've learned through life experiences or just the way that we felt and not understood why? Lord, are we willing to risk believing that you love us and that you've made us worthy and free? We just thank you, Lord, for showing us this and just continue to do so as we move forward on Jesus' name. So Paul recognized this. Paul did a lot of writing about freedom. And um, in Galatians 5.1, which is a great and familiar verse, I've given it to you in J.B. Phillips' version, which I thought was fantastic. He writes, plant your feet firmly, therefore, within the freedom that Christ has won for us, and do not let yourselves be caught again in the shackles of slavery. Isn't that great? Um, so he recognizes that that's an option, that we can be free and yet not live free. So he's saying be on the alert for that. And so we are hopefully going to, Think about this week, where are we operating? Where are we thinking and believing more like a slave than a free person? And then secondly, to rehearse the truth of what Jesus did, because it is humongous. Um, you know, the Old Testament had some, some specific guidelines about who could ask as redeemer. You see this uh, depicted in the book of Ruth. In fact, I love that's one of my favorite things I've ever studied. And there's a, actually sometime when you need a short Bible study, it's up on the website, the Ruth, the story of redemption, where Ruth, um, her husband and brother-in-law and father-in-law had all died, and they were in a world of hurt, and they needed redeeming. And the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, came and rescued the, that family and um, made them fruitful and useful again. And they had a baby, and... You know, it was in the line of Jesus, which was, a, it's just a gorgeous, beautiful story of God and how much he's able to do what we're saying here that he does. But, so those those requirements that Boaz met are the same ones that Jesus met in a much bigger way for us spiritually. So the first requirement is that the person who's the redeemer has to be capable. They have to have the goods. They have to have, you know, whatever the cost is, they have to possess what's required to make the payment for the person who's in slavery to set them free. So let's, I'd love to read this one. I'm not going to read all of these, but 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20 in the New Living says, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom before the world began. So do you hear that? Jesus left paradise and according to the Father's plan to come here to set you free. And so he was able to do that because he was the only person that was the spotless one. He was the spotless lamb with no sin or no defect. And not only was he able, the singular one who was able to do that, but he wanted to do that. He was willing to do that. 
And so he took on the cost of the ransom, and he says that in, in this quote here from Mark 10, that I came to give my life as a ransom for many. That was his purpose, and he wanted to do it. And then the third requirement is that he be related to the person that needs redeeming. Boaz was a relative. He was in the family line of Ruth's, you know, former husband who had died. So he was able. So listen to this, y'all. This is just does it for me about how we're related to Jesus. Hebrews uh, 2.14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. So in another place in the Bible, it says, And he's not ashamed to call them brethren. He has identified with us by becoming a human just like us. And we're in his family line. We're children of God. We're children of the Father. Jesus is our elder brother. And um, I, I just talking about meeting that need for belonging, that really is, to me, powerful in doing that. And so looking at um, what Jesus did and his enormous price, he just... To summarize, he gave his very life from paradise to this broken world to the cross to buy our freedom. He shed his blood, which was required to pay for our forgiveness and accomplish it. And then he lavishes upon us just all this grace. He's a gracious God. He's a wise God. He's an insightful understanding God and he, those qualities are ones that he also gives to us as part of our blessings so that hopefully what the point of going through that today is to help us realize Jesus has set your value God the Father made this plan and Jesus the Son implemented it and what they're saying to us is you are worth the very life of God's only Son who never did one thing wrong, and who had every asset, all power, all authority, all riches, all wisdom, all grace, all understanding, all of that. He not only set all that aside to come and do that for you, but all of that that he set aside and has now gone back to the right hand of the Father, he stands at the ready to bring to you in that love feast of treasures and blessings that he's setting out before us. That is a magnificent story. And again, I mean, I hate to just give it this few minutes because it is worthy of our consideration every day for the rest of our lives. Um, so that is just a, as I said, very small summary of the work of Jesus. And what I hope you'll take away from that is, wow, God must really love me. And I'm pretty valuable. Just so you know, Satan, when you start telling me that I don't amount to much when you start telling me that I'm a loser, when you start telling me nobody gives a rip about you, you just look at this and you go, no, I'm sorry, that's not true. Because Jesus in his work on the cross tells me, no, I'm, I'm pretty darn valuable. And let me just tell you all about it. So that's a great, great um, warfare tool as well as a great way of just getting that wholeness that we talked about. 
Okay, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite topics is the Holy Spirit. I don't know why. It's, it's getting more and more um, accessible. But for a long time, in my early years growing up, nobody really wanted to talk about the Holy Spirit because he's you know, kind of more behind the scene. You can't really pin him down, you know. But that's kind of what I love about the Holy Spirit myself. But um, so the Father planned it. Jesus came and did the work. He implemented it. And the Holy Spirit is the one who imparts it to us. He gives it to us. We receive it by way of the Spirit. And so that... Think about it. When we say spiritual blessings, we said, I guess last week, that they're spiritual because they're inner, and they are the heavenly things applied to earth, but they're also spiritual because the way we get them is by the Spirit. Okay? So spiritual blessings. Got to look to the Holy Spirit to bring those to us and, and to live those out and apply them to our lives. And one of the primary ways that... Um, the Spirit helps us is by being the Spirit of truth. And y'all probably hear you recognize this phrase because I pray it so, so often, is that he's the Spirit of truth. So Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples in John 16. And, you know, they're not liking that idea very much. But he's telling them, no, this is good because I'm about to send someone. And here's what Jesus said to them. I've used the message just because I thought it was just really punctuated the point of how we want to apply this today. Um, Jesus said, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them now. But when the friend comes, the spirit of truth, he will take you by the hand and guide you into all the truth there is. He won't draw attention to himself but he will make sense out of what is about to happen. He's talking about the cross that Jesus is about to go to. And um, indeed, out of all that I have done and said. So do you hear that? The Holy Spirit was going to help them understand what we just covered, the work of Jesus. Jesus is doing all of this, and the Holy Spirit is going to help you understand all that. And then he's going to take the words that Jesus spoke and he's going to take the words that were written for us in the Old Testament and he's going to lead us into all that. He's the one that applies the truth to our heart. That's one of, the huge, one of his huge roles. And I pray so often, spirit of truth, lead me into all the truth of this. I don't want to just get it up here and just be able to spout it back to somebody as a phrase that I know from the Bible, but I want to fully grasp it intellectually and I want to go beyond that, and I want to take it to a deep heart understanding where it applies to me and where I really believe it and where it actually penetrates beyond that into our gut, into our feelings. That is the role of the Holy Spirit as we invite him and open ourselves for him to do that. So then I, he, let's finish that last line. It says, everything the Father has is also mine. Okay, get that. Jesus is the only son. Everything the Father has is his. Okay, now listen to this. That is why I've said he, the Spirit, takes from me and delivers it to you. So all of that that Jesus possesses, all those spiritual blessings, the Holy Spirit takes all that and he delivers it to you. That is the role of the Spirit. So he is what a friend. Jesus is our friend. The Holy Spirit is our friend. And 
So let's just look at the way Paul describes this. I've given you like five points pulled from the text. They're on those little circles again. I think it's like the third point down. Um, So he helps us to know the mystery of God's eternal plan of how he's going to use the Spirit and how he's going to use the Word of God. The Spirit helps us understand the truth that the plan brings everything together in heaven and on earth. It's that oneness. It's that integration that we talked about, that wholeness about bringing together all of that. And then also the third thing is the Spirit helps us with the understanding that we are the inheritance that God desires for himself. So he's given us an inheritance, and guess what? Guess who you are? You are God's inheritance. So that should make you feel pretty darn good about who you are and what your identity is. And then lastly, that just by receiving, just by opening your heart and saying, yes, Lord, I'll receive all that you have for me. I'll receive my status as child of God. I'll receive my worth by the shed blood of Jesus, that he gave his very life for me. I must be very valuable. And I'll receive all these blessings of being at one with you and belonging to you and being seen and known and that you care about my groaning and my oppression and all those things we've said. Um, we, re- we bring great glory to God by just receiving what he's done for us. You don't have to go out and do a bunch of stuff. Just the, the work, honestly, the work I've come to find out in my walk with the Lord to be a disciple of Jesus is not the going and doing. Girls, I can cook some brownies. And I can, you know, administrate some kind of a meeting or something. But the hardest work I do is to go... I'm not feeling satisfied right here. I'm feeling a little discontent. I'm feeling a little angry. I'm feeling a little sad. I'm feeling a little alone. And frankly, I've worked myself up into this little froth, and I'm, I, I'm, I think I'm just going to stay there for a while because, you know, this is just a stinky situation. And to be able to go from that place to go, wait a minute, how, how's that serving you and how's that playing with the atmosphere you're creating in your world. It doesn't work that great. My hard work is to get over myself and to go, let me come back and sit at the feet of Jesus and let him really get to the root of what's going on. Because this pro- the, 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 the truth is, it's not about my madness. It's not about my circumstances. It's, it's about something inside of me that needs attention. It's one of those core needs that we keep referring to my need to be seen my need to be understood and my need to belong and to to let him identify all that and come and minister to that um and the spirit is very important that's what that's the one who when we go to a listening prayer when we go to the listening exercise when we take our issues before the lord and ask him to Look below the surface about what really is going on. The Holy Spirit is the one that reveals that to you. And so um, there's a war inside of us, Paul writes. And this is also in Galatians 5. It says in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, So I tell you, live the way the Spirit leads you. 
So we've got to be open, available to the Spirit. Live the way the Spirit leads you. Then you will not do the evil things that your sinful self wants. The sinful self wants what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit wants what is against the sinful self. They are always fighting against each other so that you don't do what you really want to. So the truth about every child of God is that we have that new heart, we have that new nature, and the new nature in us and the new heart that God gives us really does want to be at one with him, and we really want to be integrated, have the truth integrated, and that we would be in sync with what God said is true. But the old nature that's still sending those signals from the past is at war with that and so what we talked about last week is we have that division within ourselves and the Lord wants to unite our hearts and unite our minds so that all that becomes more and more a functioning whole and that those places that were unmet in our lives at an earlier time are grown up into the maturity of being able to go oh okay let me look at what's real here the true reality of my situation here and so when we do that it says, I mean, the Bible just talking about the Spirit and His role and us experiencing this freedom, freedom that Jesus died to give us. Fantastic passage that I think I read this a week or two ago, but it's, it's worth repeating here. Second Corinthians three seventeen and 18 says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's where it is, right there is where the Spirit is. And so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So who's doing it? The Holy Spirit. So if you don't have a good working relationship with the Holy Spirit, let's open our hearts to that. Let's open our minds to that, and let's study what the scriptures tell us about his role and go, oh, man, I need him to lead me into all the truth. I need him to tell me, what, how does this word in the scripture apply to my life? I need him to show me, what am I really thinking? I need him to take me back to that, you know, and show me what message and, and what the truth is. So he's, uh, and he's doing that transformative work all the time. We just need to cooperate with him and join him in that. So let me tell you how this looked on me this week. And I have gone back to some really deep, deep, deep childhood issues the last few weeks. I'm going to talk about a more current kind of thing, but it's still not to be mistaken. I mean, those same needs that I, ha I was born with are the same ones that I bring forward into my old age. You know, so it's those same uh, need to be seen, understood, and belong that I get off track when they're unmet. So, and, and let me just tie this in with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is, it says, it's a seal. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit, it says by one of the commentators, is like an engagement ring. Does that do it for you, that it's like an engagement ring? Like some big old honking diamond you could skate on? I mean, we're talking big old engagement ring. And so the Holy Spirit is like that. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about in my situation is that I've just had my first child get married this last year and thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be a pretty 
several months. You know, it was a little bit longer. I was kind of thinking, look, can't we just get past that and get to the wedding? But no, I understand very deeply now, oh, we needed every single one of those days to do the work of bringing into oneness these two separate things. The differences, I mean, like things from as little as where do you put your saran wrap to how do y'all do Christmas to, I mean, just the myriad of things it means to be one. And and how my family is this way and my family is that way. Well, my daddy says this. Well, my mama says that. And, and that all those people come together and they meet one another. And somehow the engagement period really does, with all of those decisions and all of that kind of mingling and mixing, it really does go a long way to creating a oneness. And so that's, to me, a really good picture of what Paul is kind of describing for us here and how the Holy Spirit wants to do that. Well, he showed me a place where I there was lack of oneness, and it was in a friendship. And that's one of the reasons why I chose the song that Jesus was a friend, because honestly, he is the friend that's closer than a brother, It says in the book of Proverbs, and he is the one that is truly our very best friend that we can always count on. And so I had a little incident that um, came up within my inner circle of friends. Again, hey, if if you're just a pass the peace on the row and you always sit behind me at church, but I really don't know anything about you, I'm not looking to you to show up with, you know, the deepest part of my heart. I'm not entrusting my heart to you in a big way. I'm just glad to see you. God bless you. You know, peace of the Lord be with you. But as for your inner circle of people, there, like we said, there's some reciprocity that you kind of, that, that's a good friend. You want somebody that's going to be kind of reciprocal, right? And, and sometimes God calls us to those where we're giving, but let's just leave it at that for now and say this is a reciprocal relationship. And... Um, so we had a, com- I had a conversation with this friend this week, and I think we were both coming from the same place, talking about tribulation. And I'm not saying that like I've been persecuted, you know, or sent to prison. I'm saying it like pressure. Had a lot of pressures on me. I've got an elderly mother whose home I run. I run my own home. I'm sort of the lead on this divine design ministry. I've got some health issues that are requiring more of my time and attention and taking away some of my energy than I want them to do. And just all of that, and even the first of the year, just continuing to kind of, there's a lot more to starting up a year than, you know, you kind of, do y'all forget how that is? It's just, ugh. So I was feeling really pressurized. I was kind of running late when I took this phone call. I was on my way to some some other thing that I'd signed up months ago to be in charge of, and I'm thinking, oh, why did I say I'd do this? I don't want to do this. Can I, you know, back out? Well, no, I guess I need to go. So I'm doing that, and so I'm having this phone call, and so my, on the other end of the line, my friend was feeling pressure, and somebody was putting a squeeze on her because there was a need. And y'all, just warning, warning, warning sign, a need is not equal to a call. I had to learn that the hard way. Like, it took me about 100 times to learn that. (laughs) But so there was a need. My friend was feeling squeezed to help meet this need. And so she calls her friend, and she's putting the squeeze on me. (laughs) That's what it felt like anyway. I think it was truly, honestly, just a question. 
But it was like, okay, here's what happened. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. It was like, seriously? You want me to do blah, blah, blah? Well, I mean, the thoughts that were erupting in my brain were like, you're supposed to know the ins and outs of my life. Do you not know the pressure I'm under right now? Do you not know that I had to hire a new caregiver last week, and then I had to make a new schedule, and then I had to do a background check, and then I had to da-da-da, and then I had to da-da-da, and that I hadn't bought groceries this whole week, and I need to go to the store and cook after this stupid thing I'm in charge of, and don't you know that, you know, and furthermore, that meeting where they asked us to sign up to do these 12 things really made me mad. I mean, and that is probably a little bit more dramatic than I did, but I kind of thought, you're unloading on me? Well, let me just tell you, I got you beat by probably a factor of at least one or two, so take that. And then I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, that was so gross. Why did I do that? And I'm supposed to walk into this little lunch meeting that, and I'm thinking I'm supposed to put on a happy face and chit-chat with these people, you know. <laughs> it was just, uh. And so I said, I'm so sorry. I just heard myself unloading you. I'm so, so sorry. I said, I, I said, let me pray about it. I should have just said that on the front end, but I didn't. I'm so sorry. But mm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm really going to have to ask Jesus, do I have that to give that you're asking? Because I'm not, I'm, I, I think you can tell I'm feeling kind of a lot of pressure already. And what I got was not what I wanted to get back. I mean, just to be honest, what I was hoping to receive was mercy. Oh, I know, Kathy. I understand. You do have a lot of pressure. I should have thought about that. I should have seen that. I should have understood that. You belong in my closest circle, and I was I thinking? Why did I even call you? That was what I was hoping would happen, but that's not what I got. <laughs> what I got was a little bit of, well, I know, I understand. Well, yeah, I know what you mean, because I've got a lot of pressure. I mean, I, that's kind of what I got on the other side, and I was thinking, well, yeah, I know, and you know what? I've got to be down there in one minute, so I tell you what, let me get back with you on that. Okay, bye, bye. You know, so it was, it was, uh, it was not, it was not agape love, let me just say that, <laughs> just to kind of put it in a word. And I just thought, oh, man, geez, I hate that. Would you just, and before I got out of the car, I just put my head down, and I said, Lord, I know I have not, I've got to sit down and deal, pardon me, deal with this, and I think it got started not with that friend, but it got started at a meeting I went to earlier in the week. But I just said, Lord, please forgive me for doing that. And I, I mean, I said, please forgive me on the phone, but there was more to be said than that. And so I got home, the and it took me till the next morning to actually be able to sit down and be quiet and go, Lord, what was I feeling? And I said, well, I was mad. Then I was hurt. I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel known. This person's a part of my functional family, and we've got a reciprocal relationship, and I didn't feel like they showed up for me. And then I said, Lord, is there some memory you want to take me back to? And he took me down not that far in the past to a place where I did feel seen known, and understood and belonging with that person and thinking, what happened? 
I thought you were there for me. So the message I got was, I thought you were there for me, but you're not. Well, that's really hurt. And so I said, well, Lord, kind of in a way they weren't there for me in that specific incident. And I said, well, what's the truth? And what I felt like the Lord showed me was that I had entrusted my well-being and my heart too greatly to that person. And that furthermore, as I journaled, guess what? My mother, my daddy, my husband, my uh, little girl best friend, my high school best friend, my college roommate, my, you know, the list kind of got long. Kathy, why don't you not put your hope in these people? Why hope and expectation are synonyms? Don't put your hope, don't have a false hope. Don't expect a person to meet all those deep, deep needs. How about you love and extend mercy to that person just like God has done to you? And how about you appreciate what they do bring to your life? How about you be thankful for all the ways they have seen you, known you, and given you a sense of belonging? And I can tell you that list, if I started listing all the ways this person has done that for me in the many, many years we've had a relationship, I would have to write for a long time because they've been a very, very, very faithful friend to me. And I was like, oh, Jesus. So, of course, I had a phone call to make, and I did, and we talked, and, and she was like, I did the exact same thing. You know, so we were both feeling the same things, and so it was it was good. We were better on the other side than we were before we started. I think we, we were able to see and understand each other that she's feeling pressure, I'm feeling pressure, all God's children are feeling pressure, and that our job is to look to the Lord and go, Lord, would you lead me into all the truth of what is my call? I mean, what is my call? At that point, I was in neutral, and I was willing to go look at this need and willing to fill in in some small way. And it turns out, guess what? Everybody's already met the need, and I didn't have to do it. Yes! But anyway, I was willing. This is great news is that God changed my heart. So I hope that will kind of maybe translate a little bit to some more of the nuts and bolts of your everyday life and, and take it out of just, you know, yes, it did go back to my earliest years of wanting, you know, I didn't have a sister, I didn't have a brother, and in some ways that puts more weight on my friends because, you know, the family of God, y'all are my functional family. So it was just a good reminder to me to just um, who at whatever level of intimacy I have is not to put too much hope and expectation on that person, but just to love and um, be thankful for them and to look to God to fill my cup up with of my needs. And that's what Jesus said he came to do. He quoted this passage, and I'm going to close with this. Um, oh, can I add a P.S.? I saw that person about three days later, and you know what happened? It wasn't like, oh, hey, are we okay? It was like, hey. You know, and it was com talking about freedom, liberated from that sense of 
I owe you, you owe me, you didn't do it, I, you should have done it, da, 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 all that stuff. It was just complete freedom. There was just freedom to connect, and we were all good. So thank you, Lord, for that. But anyway, Jesus came to do this, and he quoted this, and this is, uh, this is something that we can count on him to do, and it's all about being free and um, blessed in the role of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, and this is the New Living Translation, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, that all who mourn, will he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. So that's the work that he has for us, and we receive it from you, Lord. Let's just uh, pray and write around one thing. So, Father, we just come into your presence. Uh, we just thank you so much for your word and the richness of it. Lord, it's really kind of too much for our little minds to comprehend, but we do pray uh, that, Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, that you would lead us into the truth of this and that you would apply to our hearts how incredible your love is, how incredibly incomprehensible it is that the Father before the foundation of the world would be thinking of each one of us and would set his intention on us and about how he could best express his love toward us and that he did it through Jesus, our Redeemer. And Jesus, we thank you for redeeming us with your blood, for leaving perfection in heaven to come here to call us your sisters and to pay the price that was necessary, that tremendous price that no other one could pay but you. Thank you, Lord, so much. We're so humbled by your gift to us. And we just receive it afresh today, Lord, that we are redeemed. And, Lord, we receive your spirit to lead us into all the truth. Spirit, search us and know us. Show us the places where we've blocked you off, where we've believed lies, where we've just self-protected because we're afraid of being hurt again. Lord, we pray that you would reveal in your perfect timing. You said um, there's so much you want to tell us. Thank you for that. Thank you that there's so, so much you want to tell us. And that when we're ready, Lord, you're going to make it known to us. So we ask, would you do that for us? Would you show us exactly what it is we need to know right now? And would you help us to, um, to internalize and integrate the truth that's going to set us free, Lord? Thank you for being that kind of God. And thank you for loving us with your perfect, amazing love. And we just ask all of this in the most powerful name there is, and that's the name of Jesus. Amen.